0: This week's podcast is sponsored by the book, Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. It's Delta's inspirational turnaround story, written by the editors of Airline Weekly, lively and informative, just like this podcast. Available in hardcover, paperback, Kindle, and audiobook formats. Hop on Amazon.com and search Delta Book. Let's start the show with a historically troubled airline. It's an airline that has seen some grim losing streaks, stringing together profitless years at times by the handful. It's an airline that nearly stopped flying in 2012, rescued only by a massive 11th hour labor concession. And it's also facing, some might say, reckless competition from Norwegian. Of course, I'm talking about SAS, otherwise known as Scandinavian Airlines, but I'm also happy to report that SAS, despite all the headwinds, is a survivor, at least for the moment anyway. In its third quarter last year, SAS posted a double-digit profit margin, and I want to start the show exploring how the airline is reshaping itself and where it's headed. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is a man who needs no reshaping, Seth Kaplan, (laughs) Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. Besides SAS, we'll talk about life after Air Berlin, Finnair's fortunes, how Iceland is weathering new competition, and moving to the U.S., we'll talk about spirit, frontier, and delta. All that and more in the Airline Weekly Lounge and the first episode of 2018. Thanks for joining us. We're starting the show with SAS, which, despite a lot of turmoil in recent years, might be finally building a foundation for success. Before we go forward, let's look back a bit. Seth, Give us a little history lesson on SAS. What kind of airline has it been, and has it ever really been successful? Never a wild
1: success, you know. You mentioned it, Jason. Uh, uh, five years ago was when it really bottomed out, uh, really, truly on the verge of, of, of liquidation. Uh, before its its workers kind of rescued it. I mean, not just them; other stakeholders too, of course, suppliers, uh, uh, everybody. Uh, agreed to take a lot of pain uh, in exchange for hopefully uh, getting the benefits of, of a turnaround and indeed uh, it, it thoroughly restructured itself in terms of costs but really all uh, throughout its its uh, its history at least over the past couple of decades it's sort of been this this uh, this race between um, you know always kind of trying to hammer down costs uh, and not just that one time but sort of round after round of painful uh, labor concessions, so the costs would drop, but then the revenues often would drop just as much or even more uh, because of an onslaught of, of competition from low-cost carriers, especially uh, Norwegian most prominently, even before it started uh, its long-haul flying, uh, but others too. Um, and so always kind of had that race to the bottom between uh, costs and revenues with with the, uh, the revenue declines, unfortunately, often outpacing, the cost declines. Add to all of that, uh, the structural issue uh, uh, that SAS faces, which is the fact that here you have this um, this mid-sized uh, European airline, actually bigger than most uh, others, but considerably smaller than the big three, those being IAG, the parents of British Airways and uh, Iberia, Air France, KLM, and Lufthansa Group, uh, considerably small, smaller than them, with its operations not concentrated at one hub, like, oh, let's say Finnair at Helsinki, um, but spread among three hubs, uh, uh, Oslo, Stockholm, And Copenhagen, Uh, and and so you know that has uh, negative consequences in terms of of network effect. If you're not a giant airline, you know you probably want to be able to concentrate everything in one place. Uh, That's just not SAS's reality. So, um, you know, it all up, it's kind of had its moments of 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 reasonable prosperity, um, but could never really uh, sort of break out from from at
0: best. Mediocrity, and now we're seeing some signs of success at least. How did its third quarter go?
1: It went well. Uh, it, it, now, first of all, SAS's quarter—it has a weird calendar related to that restructuring back at the end of 2012. They kind of had to restart the calendar at a strange time, um, and and so it ended up being that, uh, like for the third quarter, for example, runs from. August through October, rather than July through September. That might not sound like a big thing, but what it, what it does mean is you can't really compare SAS's quarters uh, to other airlines because you know when you drop July and replace it with October, uh, that that's a rather different quarter. Having said that, um, it, it earned 10% uh, for, for the quarter. That was up from 9% in the same period a year earlier. Uh, not its best showing since the restructuring. It, it actually had uh, 13% uh, two years ago. Um, so uh, this time you actually had revenues rising uh, more than costs. Uh, so so that was that was helpful. Uh, now for SAS, you know, you might say, well, oh, ten percent—that's a nice quarter. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, keep in mind this is an airline that's very seasonal, like a lot of European airlines, certainly like a, like a, like a lot of Northern European airlines. So. It has to do really well uh, in the summer because uh, you know it's going to give a lot of that back uh, in the winter. So that's always the question. You know, is it going to run up the score enough in the summer
0: um, uh, to to still be able to be uh, profitable on a year round basis? So, are we seeing something transfor- transformational here, or is this just fool's gold? I think you said last year, if you're not making money in Europe in 2017, you're never going to make money. And despite a couple of good quarters, it doesn't seem that SAS is making robust annual profits.
1: That's true. Uh, look, it, it it's not, um, you know, if you compare it with, let's say, IAG, I mentioned before, it's kind of become the gold standard in terms of uh, European legacy airline companies. Um, You're know, Looking looking back at the most recent 12 months uh, that everybody's reported, uh, so for most airlines, that's uh, through September, SAS through October. Um you know, IAG, uh, an operating margin, almost 14%. Uh, so SAS, nothing like that, uh, down at 8%. Um, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, if you look at sort of all the airlines in the world, SAS, I said before, mediocrity. It, it doesn't get much more mediocre than, than this. Jason, I'm looking at the 75 airlines uh, that that uh, that we rank um, by that measure, by uh, operating the margin uh, for for the most recent 12 months and out of those 75 airlines SAS is number 37 right in the I mean you can't be 37.5 right so so, so the middle two are 37 and 38 SAS is right there in the middle and you know that that ranking of 37 um puts it uh, just above Lufthansa Percentage points behind, uh, also rounding to eight percent, and significantly better than Air France KLM at at six percent. So you know this is a company that's uh, that that is doing. Uh, reasonably well. Uh, even though, yeah, no question. In, in sort of the best year uh, in in memory for Europe, um, you would want to be doing uh, even better than that. You would want to put up the kinds of numbers that SA, that IAG is putting up. You know, not to mention what you know what Ryanair and uh, uh, and others can do. Um, but uh, but no, it's
0: it's uh, they are doing reasonably well. And regarding Norwegian, who I presume is not in the middle of that list you mentioned, uh, we've said on the. The show before, we aren't sure that Norwegian is sustainable in its co- current form. Is the fact that they are struggling a, a sign of hope for SAS? Um, yes. <laughs> Care to elaborate? <laughs> well, look, um, uh, you know,
1: if, if anything dramatic were to happen uh, with Norwegian, um, either if it were to fail or if it were to have to you know, dramatically uh, uh, downsize or at least, um, you know, uh, Reduce its ambitions. uh, Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's a whole lot of capacity uh, in SAS's markets that would uh, would potentially no longer be there. I mean, look, other airlines would 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 backfill some of it, right? Just like we see, you know, Air Berlin went away, and it's it's not just the capacity just didn't vanish, um, but it 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 doesn't all come back. And uh, you know, I I, from SAS's perspective, they would probably see it as. more rational players, um, you know, not, not 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 charging the same kinds of low fares. Who who would be replacing it? So, uh, so yeah, that that would be a a, a big event for SAS. Um, you know, were that to happen, which is you know by 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 no means um, uh, certain or. or or even maybe probable but uh yeah I mean Norwegian is is struggling it's going to have to figure something out and if it can't uh no airline poised to benefit more than SAS.
0: We wrote in Airline Weekly that SAS is somewhat sheltered from Ryanair, EasyJet and Wizz Air. Why is that? Well, because they
1: um just haven't had a lot of of uh, interest in expanding in, Sanada- in Scandinavia. Uh quite simply. you know, that, that hasn't been their focus. Um uh, you know, there the are high costs in the region, high airport costs in a lot of cases. Um, and although no airline is is going to celebrate high airport costs, you know, when you're SAS, if that means it keeps Ryanair away, um, that's not an awful thing, and 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 maybe a trade off uh, that that in fact you're you're willing to take. Um, and so, yeah, it's you know SAS's fortunes are 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 often tied very much to what else is happening. Um, f- from a capacity perspective, a- around it, um, you mentioned they had a good, really good summer two years, uh, uh two years ago. Um, that was at a time when, uh, when, uh, when there wasn't much capacity growth, uh, in in the region. Um, and I remember you know, interviewing actually SAS's. Uh, uh, CEO shortly after that, and he said, "Look, next year there's going to be, uh, you know, looking forward, they could see more capacity." And he said, "Yeah, it's going to be tougher." And sure enough, it was. Um, and now here again, you have kind of restrained capacity growth overall in the region, notwithstanding Norwegian, what Norwegian is doing, and and uh, and sure enough, that's helpful. So, uh, uh, so yeah, you know, whenever those airlines that you mentioned, EasyJet, Ryanair, Wizz Air, uh, sort of look elsewhere for growth opportunities that's a good thing for SAS.
0: Another Scandinavian carrier, Finnair, which shares both similarities and differences with SAS, also had a good summer. Is this airline turning the corner? Uh yeah, a, a
1: 16% uh, operating margin for the quarter. Now again, don't don't try to compare that with SAS because they don't the they're, they're not exactly the same months and and that can make a big difference but anyway 16 a uh, very good quarter uh especially by finnair standards i mean that was up from 10 percent a year ago so this is an airline that really improved um its uh its fortunes um but over the longer haul uh still has some way to go looking at that same ranking i mentioned before uh top to bottom uh the the, the world's airlines you know one to 75 uh i mentioned sas was at number 37 with that eight percent operating margin uh finair is at number 44 with a six percent margin uh very close by the way to air france klm uh left i mentioned before did, did, did somewhat better uh than than those two although um Although slightly worse than uh, than SAS. So uh it you know, it, it still has a way to go. Um you know Finair is is uh, in some regards a one trick pony, uh mentioned earlier that that Helsinki hub. Um great hub for connecting people between Uh, most points in Europe and Northeast Asia. Uh, The geography is incredible. It has the advantage of being the only hub site in in Europe where you can operate a round trip to Northeast Asia in most cases uh, with just one aircraft. Uh, That's a big deal for, for, uh, for an airline to not have to dedicate more than one aircraft to doing... Um, one round trip a day to you know Tokyo or wherever. That's something not even SAS. You know, in global terms. You think, well, how far are the, Scandin- you know, the other Scandinavian hubs from Helsinki? Well, they're 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 far enough um uh, west that SAS can't do that, uh, uh whereas Finnair can. Anyway, having said all that, that's a great thing when when uh, when those markets are doing well, as in fact they are right now with with demands have recovered. You remember those uh, the, the terror attacks in Paris and Brussels that hurt demand from a place like Japan to Europe uh, for a long time. That recovered very good for Finnair right now, but it always sort of lives and dies um, by demand in those markets. Um, right now, it's uh, it, it it it's a it's a decent story for Finnair.
0: Okay, let's talk about another cold climate European airline that. Happened. Happens to be nothing like Finnair and SAS. Icelandair had a great summer after an awful winter last year. They're seeing a lot more competition. What's your outlook for them in 2018?
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned Jason a lot, a lot of, of competition. Um, for, really from from uh, from all kinds of different uh, airlines. Not only, I, mean, I think anybody pa- paying attention knows what Wow Air is doing, right? Um, it. it the, they don't call it Wow Air for nothing, right? I mean, just just uh, really uh, aggressive growth. Um, this ultra low cost airline um, competing for a lot of the same kinds of connecting traffic flows, and competing also for for a local inbound traffic to uh, to Reykjavik with a cost structure that, that that just no legacy airline can achieve. You know, I mean, there's nothing Iceland Air can do to get its costs down to um, to Wow Air's cost level. Um, I mean, probably just because WOW is new, right? All of its employees are junior, you know, and and uh, so just your average labor rates are going to be a lot lower, that sort of thing. And and look, uh, United is starting flights from Newark to Reykjavik. Um, so uh, it, it's it's sort of been this uh, depending on who you are, this vicious cycle or this virtuous cycle of of uh, um you, you know, with all this growth, people taking more of an interest in Iceland, and now you've just got demand. You've got people who are interested in going to Iceland, and that too. Begets more uh, capacity growth from all kinds of different airlines from uh, from both sides, you know, from 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 Europe as well as uh, from the U.S. You know, having said that, twenty four percent third quarter operating margin, um, you know, that's 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 good. It was down slightly from a year earlier uh, for Iceland. There, don't get too excited. <laughs> I talked before about seasonality. Uh, there are a few airlines in the world more seasonal than Iceland. There, not a lot they can do about that. They do what they can. Through uh, capacity adjustments, I mean they schedule very seasonally too. But you know, this is an airline that's that's never going to do too well uh, in 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 the first quarter. Um, and so it has to do very very well um, uh, in the summer. And, and indeed, it did did rather well. Um, did better than it thought, so that's good. Uh, currency trends helped. Uh, it's always trying to dri- drive down costs, and that work. And uh, and in fact, the fares, despite all that capacity, held up better. Uh, than it expected. Uh, cargo and charter uh, doing well too. Uh, so, um, so Iceland is, 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 is hanging in there probably doing about as well as it can do despite the, uh, the tough environment.
0: You mentioned Air Berlin earlier. Let's talk about that. Has the dust settled enough to declare a winner in the Air Berlin parts sale?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, more to the point, you sort of have to divide it into, okay, so there's the parts, and then there's just sort of, um, you know, who benefits from, from Air Berlin not being there anymore. Um, you know, in terms of the parts, um, uh, I mean, Lufthansa's got some of them. Um, it, it uh, You know, it got, uh, well, relatively recently, there's an Air Berlin subsidiary called Walter, including some aircraft slots, uh, workers, um, you, you know, uh, Thomas Cook bought one subsidiary, which is basically just an operating certificate that, that was useful to it. Uh, IAG actually ended up buying Nikki, uh somewhat significantly. Uh, Lufthansa wanted Nikki. Um Air IAG bought that. Um, it's uh, a, a useful uh, unit potentially. Um, but you know, in terms of who benefits most, I mean, look, Air Berlin competed from a lot for a lot of connecting traffic flows. Uh, but I mean, there's 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 nobody benefiting more than Lufthansa at the moment from it, you know, this 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 other big, you know, sizable anyway, German German airline not being there anymore. Of course uh, a lot of our capacity is being backfilled. Um, it, it doesn't just vanish. Uh, you know, Ryanair and EasyJet are, are piling in. That's not helpful for for Lufthansa. So you could say they benefit too, uh, just in that regard from uh, from all this opportunity. These are these are growth airlines that now have uh, some some much more obvious growth opportunities uh, than they than they previously had. Um, but you know, airlines everywhere uh, in Europe, I think, are, are happy. Not to uh,
0: compete anymore against what had become a, a a rather desperate Air Berlin. I know the Nikki deal is a small deal, but what does it mean to IEG and Lufthansa that you know them being rivals that IEG got it?
1: Well, Lufthansa wanted it. I mean, it was it was regulatory issues that that um uh that prevented them from getting it. Um, yeah, IAG, It seems like they're going to use it. To, uh, to help Vueling, which is, uh, you know, of course, one of IAG's units. IAG, as it exists, if you, in terms of its airline units, it's British Airways, Iberia, uh, Aer Lingus. Most recently, it bought and Vueling. It bought a few years ago the low cost carrier, um, and so it's going to use Nikki, which is a, a rather efficient um, platform, to uh, uh, to to help expand Vueling uh, to the east of of uh, of, of Vueling's sort of core markets. And um, yeah, it's something Lufthansa uh, would have wanted, but you know, it, it had to know going in that it wasn't going to um, end up with everything it wanted uh, from Air Berlin, that the uh, competition authorities were, were, were just not going to allow that.
0: Okay. Moving from Europe to the U.S., just a couple of years ago, we were talking about Ben Baldanza's departure from Spirit. Now we're talking about Bob Fernaro's departure from Spirit, which the airline announced last month will be happening at the beginning of 2019. Seth, what do you make of this? Well, Bob Fernaro is is a decade older than
1: than Ben Baldanza, so um, you know, no surprise that that he, uh, you know, that that he's not staying forever and ever I, I think you know the idea was always probably for it to be uh, um, a, a transition uh, and and Ted Christie who uh, you know is becoming president and and who will you know probably become the CEO after Bob is somebody who is there under both of them uh, so so you know this isn't a a, a, a dramatic uh, you know change in terms of leadership. Some of the same people have been there all along, although certainly um, Bob has, has has brought in uh, others, um, you know, from his AirTran days, for example. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is an airline that's still, um, although doing better than most around the world, going through one of the more difficult periods in, in its own uh, history. Um, you know, th- things have changed in, in ways that aren't entirely helpful uh, for Spirit, uh, we, we've talked about it before on this show, but uh, you know the fare compression. You know, up until a couple of years ago, Spirit could get people to fly it by by just being a lot cheaper than everybody else. Uh, and so people would um, it you know, would, would would put up with uh, the things that they don't like about Spirit, uh, in order to get a, a really low fare and a fare that was much lower than anybody else. Well, um, you know, now with rather low prevailing airfares. Um, in, in the US, just by definition, it's it's hard to be a lot cheaper than everybody else when when more of an upmarket airline like you know, JetBlue is out there with with the $39 fare sometime, right? You, get, you can't be hundreds of dollars cheaper than $39. That's put a lot of pressure on Spirit. It's kind of tried to do what it could um, in terms of uh, you know, improving its operational reliability, um, for example. But then that puts pressure on costs and uh you know the fares are still very low so um so it 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 it's tough uh a lot of it's probably just the environment um they've actually made some decisions that you know we'll have to see how they work out they've 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 uh, um, they decided to start taking smaller um, aircraft than, in, than in originally envisioned. Uh, you know, three twenties instead of twenty ones, for example, and uh, that too puts pressure on unit costs. So, if you're going to take smaller aircraft, hoping to be able to access some smaller markets, for example, uh, you know, you really need to hope that the revenues, the unit revenues, are going to be be there to accompany the higher unit costs that go along with having uh, fewer seats on the plane. We'll see how it all works out. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you know, no dramatic changes, uh, at, at spirit, probably if for no other reason than, as you mentioned, Jason, uh, uh for now, is not even leaving for uh, for for a year at this point.
0: Another U.S. airline, much less well known than Spirit, is Sun Country. But the small airline made some big moves in 2017, and Seth, I'm wondering if we could see Sun Country become a household name in the years ahead. Well,
1: it, it's a lot smaller still than the other ultra low cost carriers. Um, you know, you 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 mentioned it in the context of Spirit, and I see what you're thinking of was you know, just the fact that Sun Country now is kind of styling itself. As as an ultra low cost carrier too, um and uh, uh yeah it's 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 a lot smaller. It'll remain a lot smaller. It doesn't have a big aircraft order or anything. Although now let's see, it's getting new private equity owners, um you know let's see what it can do. Um it's it's run by uh by a by Jude Bricker who who uh, used to be an executive at Allegiant during Allegiant's very successful run. And uh, so, and, and and sure enough, its most recent quarter. Uh, it doesn't. It's not a publicly traded company, so it doesn't report earnings per se, but it files financials with, uh, um, with uh, the U.S. government, and you know we take a look at them and analyze them, and uh, uh, yeah, sure enough, it it, it uh, it's still a lot less profitable than uh, than basically all other U.S. airlines that any of us have ever heard of, uh, much more profitable than it was a year earlier. Seems to already be uh, turning itself around um, sort of early in, in the project. And, um, and uh, yeah, uh, having attracted the attention of of, uh, of, of these new owners. Um, in terms of will it become a household name, let's see what they do in terms of aircraft orders. Um, because it, it would take that, you know, it would take, just a much bigger airline um, for it to become an airline that would be you know relevant to uh, to a large percentage of, of Americans
0: frontier finally reported its earnings in December they did quite well 21 percent operating profit margin but Seth what I want to know is whatever happened to the IPO yeah they postponed it
1: um, and and frontier like Sun country sort of just files that data it kind of emerges and and uh, you know we take a look at it and, and uh, analyze it for our readers. Um, Yeah, the the IPO, I mean, look, market conditions uh, changed somewhat. I mean, the airlines were were doing extraordinarily well two or three years ago, and they're off their highs now. And uh, so in terms of the the appetite for, for airline equity, I mean, Still doing great compared to most of their history, but uh, maybe some nervousness about that. Maybe some nervousness specific to, to Frontier. Um, you know, once United uh, made clear that it was um, going to pull no punches uh, in terms of its battle against ultra low cost carriers, uh, you know, and and Frontier, you know, United might kind of see them all. You know, Spirit is, is a threat to United, um, you know, Legion maybe to a lesser degree. Frontier is one. United might just kind of look at them all in, in in one basket, but from Frontier's perspective, I mean, its network overlaps um, very significantly with United's because Frontier still has um, an overwhelming percentage of its of its operations at Denver, where United also, of course, has a hub. And so, you know, when you're an airline with with so many eggs in your in that Denver basket, and United has you in its crosshairs. Um, that too, you can imagine potential investors, you know, kind of wanting to see where that's all um, going to shake out. Um, but as you said, for the moment, certainly, um, you know, they're uh, they're 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 doing well, um, and you have to imagine a, a, at some point they would be able to uh, successfully take that airline to market.
0: Our last item of the day: earnings season is upon us. Delta reports this week, way ahead of others as usual. What do you expect the big themes to be and what U.S. carrier are you most curious to hear from?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I think I mentioned earlier the race to the bottom in terms of uh – uh, costs at an airline like SAS and that's true too for uh, I should say between costs and revenues unit costs and revenue unit revenues at SAS and and, uh, and other airlines in Europe uh, you know in the u.s at this point it's it's uh, it's 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 the opposite story um, unit revenues that a lot of airlines have turned the corner are, are positive again now after you know after falling for a long time but there's all kinds of cost pressure uh, they're all giving their employees big raises for example uh, Delta is an example uh, of an airline that's facing that and in fact, they've already said, although they, as you said, haven't um, yet uh, released their earnings, they've already said that unit revenues have, have come in uh, even better than than they uh, than they hoped, uh, but unit costs have come in uh, have come in worse than they hoped. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a big theme here uh, for for a lot of uh, U.S. carriers. Uh, you know, the the uh, the investment community was sort of on them. Uh, at the, while unit revenues were declining saying you know slow the capacity growth slow the capacity growth and airlines know that when you when you grow less or when you shrink that puts upward pressure on unit costs right so that's always the trade off um and uh and here we are you know in fact they you know to some degree some of them Got their hands around capacity growth, uh, which is, which has indeed squeezed up unit revenues and has just as surely uh, squeezed up unit costs. It's not an easy balance um, to 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 get right, especially uh, when you have uh, open. Labor negotiations, um, and, and workers who, who know that they're going to be uh, getting big raises, considering how well these airlines are doing, and considering how much, uh, the airlines had to take away in, in many cases during uh, during bankruptcy. Uh, you asked which one I'm most curious to hear from, uh, you, you know, United, um, is is uh, is always an interesting one. They're they're uh. When Scott Kirby got there, what's it now? A year and a half ago, I think there was just all this optimism that that uh, you know maybe things would would uh, quickly turn around at United. Eh. Um, there were some you know, some green shoots, as they say, but you know, it's an airline that still um, has has had its its issues very clearly, and I mean, you know, uh, fundamental uh, issues, not just uh, you know. Dr. Dow doubt, being dragged off the plane, and all that—all that didn't help. Um, but uh, you know, but but it's an airline where 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 a lot's also going right. Um, you know, operationally, it's, it's it's doing a lot better than it was, and that matters. You know, when you're chasing Delta, which gets revenue premiums for for being more reliable. Um, you know, for being. More punctual and for losing fewer bags. You know, if if you can close the gap operationally, that should help you. Um if you're United. Uh and, and so, uh, you know, in terms of closing the uh the the profitability gap at some point. And uh um so so yeah, you know, between all of that, just kind of this ever present question, can United close the gap uh against Delta? Um, and between the fact that it's just a very interesting earnings call, um, uh with Scott Kirby there, he's does as good of a job as anybody in the industry, just kind of explaining some of the uh, um, some of their thinking. You know whether it all turns out to work or not, because they've they've they failed a few times already. Uh, you know, for example, the, the basic economy probably rolled out there too broadly and and uh, um, underestimated how much. Share They would lose because of an all of that. So they make mistakes, but just always a very interesting earnings call um, and, uh, and some signs that they are uh, turning the corner. Very relevant airline, too, for a lot of airports around the country because they, um, as much as anybody else, are really getting back into some of those smaller airports. Uh, that had uh, that had lost service over the past decade and a half. You know, they they feel that that's been overdone, and they want to pipe those people into into their hubs. So I'm looking forward to all of them. Looking forward to you know, is is Allegiant getting its hands around its uncharacteristic struggles? All kinds of questions out there, but uh, yeah, none
0: none more interesting, I think, than uh, than United. All right, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about those interesting earnings reports. <laughs> For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell, and you've been listening to the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast has been sponsored by the book, Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era.